welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 202. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. It's December. It's the holiday season. Ho, 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 and all of that. Um, I hope that you are working on your Atari-themed and other-themed gifts already for those you care most about. And I hope whatever you're doing, uh, that you're having a happy, safe, and festive holiday season in whatever way you choose to celebrate. Speaking of celebrating people, which we weren't, but this is my segue. There's this guy. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. On November 28, the Rocket Man page on Facebook posted, The hot pavement gets a chance to cool while the sun sets on the infamous Route 66. You can get your kicks there, you know. While cruising through the desert, you may have driven by the crew working on the rocket near the ghost town of Amboy, California. Visit www.realrocketman.com for more information and to check out links for the film. It is a really nice picture. Um, You've got the sun setting in the distance on Route 66, as they said. You've got the road there. You've got the big um, white outline Route 66 sign on the pavement. It is a very nice picture, actually. And that's it for new posts over there. Mad Mike, in case you're wondering, doesn't seem to have much of an Instagram presence. There's a Mad Mike Hughes page, but there's one post. It's a picture of the flat earth being carried by a turtle. The MadMikeHughes.com website really just has pleas for donations. No new posts since October 14th when they reached Wilmington on that, you know, driving across I-40 as a way to confirm the earth is flat, evidently. The Flat Earth Community Rocket Launch page on GoFundMe is still flat, I believe, at $8,391. The Mad Mike Hughes Space Launch page, which had a goal of $2.5 million, says no donations yet. Interesting. It, they had donations. I wonder if they took the money out and redid the page. Hmm. Page says it was created August 16, 2019. I don't know. But they had money in there before. Not much. But there was some in there. So it's a clean slate over there at the GoFundMe. If you want to go donate, you could be the first, technically, I guess. So give that some thought, I suppose. And if you donate to Mad Mike Hughes, as always, make sure to contact me on social media or email to tell me why exactly. Um, But for now, the Earth remains round. Santa's still going to have to account for that in his flight. Uh, You know, on Christmas Eve, he's got to, you know, go over the, the equator thing and the time streams and the Gulf Stream time vortex thing, whatever. I don't know how to fly, so um, whatever he's got to do, he's got to do it because I want my presents Christmas morning. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's mad, Mike Hughes. Mad, Mike. I saw an article that said there are 10, well, maybe there's more than 10, but they list 10 retro games that are utterly impossible to beat, supposedly. GameRant.com, these are not all Atari games, by the way, 
Players from the 80s, according to the article, are cut from a different cloth as today's gamers. The 80s spawned a generation of hardcore gamers who saw no game as too big of a challenge. The modern gamer will be bewildered by the obstacles contained in these games. These are 10 retro 80s games that are utterly impossible to beat. I don't know that these are in any particular order, but they have Ninja Gaiden from 1988 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of detail here about what these games are, because as I said, many of these are not Atari games anyway. Number 9, Super Mario Brothers from 1985. That's a game I played the hell out of when I was a kid. Galaga from 1981. I will mention in this one, they note that the game has 255 stages in the original version. This is because the original arcade version is 8-bit, meaning it can only have 255 stages. Players have made it to the end of the game, but it crashes once you reach the final stage. It's not the ending you would have hoped for, but it's understandable for a game created almost 40 years ago. Thanks for making me feel old. Number seven, R-Type, letter R, Type, 1987. Never heard of that one. Donkey Kong from 1981. Yeah, that's right, the article says. Once upon a time, Donkey Kong was a Nintendo villain. In fact, he was the villain before Bowser. Clunky controls, numerous obstacles, make Donkey Kong Arcade a challenge. Once you get past the second level, the game becomes exceedingly difficult. Number five, Castlevania III, Dracula's Curse from 1989. 4, Metroid, 1986. I've heard of that one. I don't know that I've played it. 3, Ghosts and Goblins, 1985. Number 2, Narc, from 1988. And number 1, Tempest, 1981. This is one of those arcade games you spend all those quarters, yes, people still carry quarters, in your pocket just so you could try and beat it. Developed by Atari Inc., Tempest is one of the earliest games to use varying level designs instead of having the same levels over and over with increasing difficulty. It is also the first game to let the player choose which level they want to start. Such features seem trivial today, but it was a big deal when Tempest was released. Tempest takes the cake when it comes to demanding games of the 80s. So there you go. I have no dog in this fight. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that list. But if you guys have thoughts about that list, and here, let's, let's tailor it a little bit. If you have any, if you guys can have, you know, top 10 or top 5 lists of Atari games... Um, it can even be 2600, 7800, 5200, whatever. Because uh, as you know, we're pretty uh, uh, ecumenical, if that's the word I'm looking for, here at Atari Bytes. And mostly we do a 2600 games, but occasionally, as you know, I wander off into other types of Atari games. So if you have thoughts, top 5, top 10, top 3, whatever, Atari games that are impossible to beat, send them my way, and I'll share them on the show. There was an article on jdsupra.com, headline, Update. Re, the ghosts of past licensing agreements continue to haunt Ms. Batman. Apparently there's an article earlier in which this author wrote about how there was a licensing dispute between Ms. Batman, uh, regarding Ms. Batman, between Bandai Namco and At Games Holdings. Namco was looking for an injunction against At Games based on At Games' alleged unauthorized infringement of Bandai Namco's IP rights in Ms. Batman. At Games said that it hadn't infringed and had no plans to use Ms. Batman without a license. Rather, they create a prototype of a potential Ms. Pac-Man arcade product, and it had been negotiating with Bandai Namco for over a year to acquire the rights it needs to commercialize the product. Since then, according to this article, parties have progressed to the next level. On November 19, 2019, United States District Court Judge Vince Chabria of the Northern District of California denied Bandai Namco's request for a preliminary injunction in a strongly worded one-paragraph order. The judge ruled that, quote, Bandai's likelihood of success on the merits is questionable at best, and its, quote, allegations of reputational harm fall somewhere between speculative and fanciful, close quote. 
A few days before that, at James had filed an answer to Bandai Namco's complaint, asserting three counterclaims against Bandai Namco, breach of contract, declaratory judgment, that Namco's termination of certain agreements it had with At Games is null, void, and without legal effect, and three, breach of implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing. So I'm guessing this fight isn't over yet. So no new Ms. Pac-Man products for a while, I would guess. And finally, I saw an article in which Danny Elfman, who does the music for The Simpsons, did the, of course, the very famous theme song for The Simpsons, was quoted as saying that he believes The Simpsons TV show, which has been running for 30 years, is going to come to an end after the 31st season, which I think is the season coming up next. The article quotes him as saying, Well, from what I've heard, it is coming to an end. I don't know for a fact, but I've heard that it will be in its last year. Close quote. And then quickly he added, But he could be wrong. Quote him again, All I can say is that I'm so flabbergasted and amazed that it has lasted as long as it did, so you have to realize when I scored The Simpsons, I wrote this crazy piece of music and I expected no one would hear it because I really did not think the show had a chance in hell. Close quote. The article goes on to talk about how it wouldn't be surprising if it's coming to an end. Uh, ratings have gone down in recent years. The show has lost its clout and cultural relevance. It used to be unmissable and have numerous quote-worthy moments, but has lost its sheen to the likes of Rick and Morty to newer generations of audiences. With Disney buying out Fox, the article says, which included The Simpsons, decisions such as this one might become more common in the future as the House of Mouse selects what to pursue and what to stuff in the archive. So, I haven't watched The Simpsons for a long time. But, uh, like almost everyone, it was a favorite for a while. If you have thoughts about The Simpsons, why not? Send me those too. We do story here on the show, and The Simpsons has many, many stories that it has told. So, send me your thoughts. Hey, Future Bill here. After I recorded the episode, I saw on my Facebook that I had gotten a response from Mark Super. Hi, Mark. He wrote, In episode 201, you were asking about the arcade one-up machines. I bought a couple of refurbished ones from a warehouse sale. I got Space Invaders and the Centipede Atari 12-in-1. Here are my thoughts. Space Invaders includes classic and color Space Invaders. The monitor is really nice and sharp looking, but I really missed the reflection effect and that brightly painted background that the original arcade had. This is just black and white Space Invaders on a plain black background, or color Space Invaders on a plain black background. The sound is great, but it only has two levels of sound, and both are ear-piercingly loud when you shoot. I wired in an analog sound control to fix this, but that is perfect. I love Space Invaders, so I play it a lot. I would give it 8-pixel aliens taking over the flat earth out of 10. After I fix the sound issue, that is. Centipede 12-in-1. Includes Centipede, Millipede, Asteroids, Missile Command. Oh, man, I love Missile Command. Liberator, Major Havoc, Tempest, Lunar Lander, Quantum, Phys uh, Crystal Castles, Asteroids, Deluxe, Gravitate. This one has some display issues. It seems to take a long time to find the right resolution, so it flickers for like a minute until it settles in. My friend has the same, and it has the same problem. The games all look and sound great. The trackball feels great, but the spinner has like 12 positions, and it clicks into each one, so it doesn't actually spin. There's a conversion kit that someone made to put in an actual spinner, but it's like 50 bucks. I mainly play Centipede and Millipede on it, but I have spent a lot of time with Missile Command and Tempest as well. This cabinet could be a 10 out of 10 if the spinner were an actual spinner and the display problem went away. As it is, I give it 6 centipedes, leaving mushrooms in your garden out of 10. My review of arcade 1-up machines overall. If you can get them for $150 or less and like to tinker or modify electronics, they're definitely worth it. 
I really love how they look, and the games all play great, but they just seem to have messed up some really obvious things that make, the, make them good instead of great. I've attached pictures of them, including one next to my Ghosts and Goblins that started life as a Pac-Man machine. I didn't convert it, I got it that way about 20 years ago. I'm looking at the pictures, they're very cool, you should go over to the Facebook page for Atari Bytes and check them out, it's pretty awesome. He also added a, a comment later and said, always get the risers, they are worth it. Uh, and I see your point looking at these pictures. I pictured them actually being a lot smaller. It's, they're not too bad. Um, maybe that's because of the risers. I don't know. But it, it doesn't look that bad compared to a, a you know, legit arcade machine. So, you know, if you got the money or you're on Santa Claus' Claus's good list, maybe ask for one of these for Christmas because they look pretty good to me. So thanks, Mark, for the insight into the games. Hope you have fun. All right. Well, let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... Activision presents the creepiest video game ever seen on the Atari 2600. Spider Fighter by Activision. Use your bug blaster to fight off swarm after swarm of very spooky spiders. Spiders, silly the spiders. Jumping line, multiplying spiders, silly the spiders. Bouncing, munching, watch out, crunching. Spider Fighter. Spider Fighter, designed by Larry Miller for Activision. Spider Fighter from Activision. We do love us some Activision around here. From 1982. I gotta say, the Activision Spider Fighter manual might be one of the uh, most impressive, or at least most detailed that I've seen. It's you've got a little um, like a little specimen cup with a cartoony spider in it and a tag on the spider's leg that says Activision Spider Fighter Bug Briefing. And then you've got like a, like a hand-drawn map of an orchard and a bug blaster and bugs and another page out of a book that says Bugs Giganticus Terror Antula and you got some sort of cartoony drawings of some spiders and a magnifying glass over uh, another spider getting a real close up look of its face it's just kind of a fun little manual cover the object of the game is to protect your fruit orchard from insect fruit thieves scoring points by exterminating the attackers using the left joystick controller for this one as the manual says, it's the only one you'll need. Hold joystick controller with the red button in the upper left position. Fire poison pellet volleys by repeatedly depressing the red button. Move the joystick left to right to move the mobile blaster left to right across the screen. Left difficulty, regular game A, expert game B, right difficulty A, straight pellets, B, guided pellets. I guess I didn't notice that one before. I was in the field report shooting straight pellets for those keeping track. Left difficulty switch uh, affects speed, firepower, and point value of insects. Right difficulty switch selects guided pellet option. In B position, pellets can be steered after they've been fired. Your fruit orchard is growing oranges, grapes, strawberries, and bananas. You must protect each variety of fruit from waves of insects. Four waves attack oranges, grapes, and strawberries. Then, unlimited waves of insects attack your bananas. I hate when my banana gets attacked. Each wave starts out with three fruit and four master nests. I gotta say, in the manual, the strawberry looks a bit more like a strawberry than it looks, on, looks like on screen, but not much. And the bananas, and the grapes, and the oranges, I don't know what those are supposed to be, but they are not fruits, other than maybe in color. Oh, side note to owners of Sears Telegames Video Arcade, difficulty is called skill, and A is expert, and B is novice. You begin each game with four bug blasters in reserve. If you manage to save all three fruits from an insect wave, you're awarded an additional blaster. You can only have up to four reserve blasters on the screen at one time. Each time you exterminate an attacking insect, you score points. The point values for each insect are listed below. There you go. 
and putting it up on the on the big screen. Uh, all of you take note. Okay, good. Point values range from 30 points for a Green Widow, which is the only sort of representative of a spider in this game called Spider Fighter. Points then go up to 100 points for Master Nest. In the expert game, point values for insects are multiplied when you are protecting certain fruit. Insects are worth twice as much when protecting grapes, four times as much for strawberries, and eight times the regular game point value when bananas are present. Bonus points. If you manage to save all three fruits in a wave, and you also have four bug blasters in reserve, then you will receive 500 bonus points. So, bug glossary. The master nest, which looks a little bit like the multicolored hamburgers in Metamania, if that helps any. This is the ringleader and major fruit thief. It is protected from poison pellets by a white band until it releases a spy pod. Its sole aim is to keep you busy with bugs so that it can slip away with your fruit. The spy pods are sneaky critters that scout around and instruct the master nest to release more insects. As long as any spy pods remain on the screen, the master nest continues to release its creepy offspring. Destroy the spy pods and you slow the infestation. And they kind of look like it's a little um, yellow rectangle with... Uh, an upended rectangle on either side of it, and then a triangle on top and bottom, if that helps at all. The Green Widows, like I said, are really the only spider representation in this game, and it really doesn't even look like a spider. It's sort of a green and, I guess, a little bit of blue oval body with actually four legs, two on top and two on the bottom. Green Widows fly interference, protecting the master nest with cover fire. They also act as living shields, sacrificing themselves by intercepting your poison pellets. Even though green widows are slower and dumber, be careful. They still deal a deadly bite. The stingers are, and when you play this, it's obvious, the most dangerous and aggressive of the pack. Stingers track your blaster with the single-minded goal of destroying you. Warning, when you kill the master nest, pods and widows instantly transform into stingers. Then the mortality rate is very high. And the stingers are sort of bright, sort of orange and yellow and a little bit of green. And then, yeah, they, they are the most aggressive, clearly. How to join the Activision Spider Fighters. If you score 40,000 points or more on the regular game level, you qualify for Activision's elite core of Spider Fighters. Send us a picture of your TV screen showing your score, along with your name and address, and we'll send you an official Spider Fighters emblem, which I don't have, and I am sad. And if any of you has it, uh, send it to me so that I can feel even worse about myself. Thank you. Becoming a Master Bug Blaster. Tips from Larry Miller designer of Spider Fighter. Larry is the newest addition to the Activision design team. He's an experienced designer, having completed a number of games for home computers. Larry says, As you can see, keeping a fruit orchard isn't exactly easy. Those bugs can really become a nuisance. You can never get rid of them entirely, but you can control them. There are various strategies you can experiment with, but one of the most effective that I have found is to first gun down the lone spy pod. If you can exterminate that pod, you halt the flow of reinforcements. Afterwards, you can pick off the rest of the attackers, leaving the master nest for last. Occasionally, the master nest will release a continuous stream of spy pods, and each one you hit seems to be replaced. If this happens, you must immediately destroy the master nest and take your chances against a squadron full of angry stingers. Normally, though, it is best to destroy the slower spy pods and green widows, then hover near the bottom of the screen before that hover near the bottom of the screen before killing the master nest. A low-flying stinger is your worst enemy. So maintain a stiff upper lip and send me a line between spider fights. I'd sure like to know how this year's fruit harvest will fare. Signed, Larry Miller. And that is how you play Spider Fighter. Okay. As much as I like this game, which will become apparent as I talk more about it, I, I have 
one issue with it. The game is called, well, two issues. The game is called Spider Fighter, but there really aren't any spiders in it. Except maybe those green widow things, which don't really look that much like spiders, and they don't really do spider things. They kind of hop around. They don't make any webs or anything. They don't creepy crawly, and they don't have eight legs. And besides that, the point of the game is to fight an insect infestation, but spiders are not insects. Spiders are arachnids. Creatures with two body segments, the aforementioned eight legs, no wings or antenna, and are not able to chew. Insects, in contrast, have six legs and three main body parts, and most of them have wings. So there. That's just it. I'm going to throw this game away, I guess. We noted that uh, Spider Fighter is a fixed shooter designed by Larry Miller, who went on to create the 2600 game Enduro, which is also a great game, and was released in 83. Digital Press called the game, much like the coin-op games, game Stradivax, Stradivox, but without the voice. I don't think I know that game. According to Wikipedia, Spider Fighter was not as successful as Activision's other fixed shooter released earlier the same year, Mega Mania. I think I noted in the field report that I get a big Mega Mania vibe off of Spider Fighter, which to me is not a bad thing. Electronic Fun with Computers and Games gave the game 3 out of 4 joysticks in the May 83 issue. A June 83 Electronic Games magazine review disagreed, calling it a, quote, keen disappointment and a, quote, mediocre title from a superior game company. Atari HQ review noted, quote, 2,600 players who are familiar with Activision's usual efforts, which are exceptional overall, might feel a bit let down by Spider Fighter. Hmm, interesting. 8-Bit Central gave the game a rating 4 out of 5 ships, and opens its review saying, Spider Fighter comes at you with manic speed, crisp graphics, and great play. It's damn fun. But then goes on to say, once you see the enemy's pattern, the difficulty drifts away a bit, but with any cool 8-bit game that comes too easy, just add beer. Reviewer got hooked on Spider Fighter from the speed alone. The graphics are very demon attack-like, but the speed of the gameplay is unlike most games. You may master it quickly, but the speed of the game makes it a favorite. And if you don't play it, how can you earn your Activision Spider Fighter patch with a screenshot of 40,000 points? Classic Gaming Quarterly, however, found the pace of the game to be much too frantic to facilitate target differentiation, so a scorched earth policy works best. The game is intense enough that you get killed pretty regularly, but is so liberal in dispensing extra lives that you can gain proficiency in Spider Fighter much too quickly. The high score patch for the game required to score 40,000, which should have been relatively easy to obtain within the first day when had the game. Difficulty issue aside, Spider Fighter carries on the same tradition of quality expected from an Activision title. The visual and sounds are better than almost any first party title, and the game runs fast and smooth, which is impressive considering the high volume of stuff flying around on the screen. The game is a good introductory shooter that loses its value once your skills outgrow it. Alright, well, after the break, when you fight a spider, just remember that they have a wicked left hook and right cross and left hook and right cross and left hook and right cross and left hook and right cross. Hey there, uh, so what do you do? I'm a spider fighter. What now? I fight spiders. You fight spiders? The little eight-legged dudes? Yeah. You, you know, you could just uh, scoop them up with a piece of paper and you know, put them outside. Yeah, I guess you could do that. And they're like really small. I mean, you know, most household spiders, they're just little tiny things, and they're not probably going to bite you. 
know, unless, you know, you bug him or something. Well, yeah. You know, it's really not that big a deal. You really made me reconsider my life choices. Alright, so we're playing Spider Fighter. Uh, and already, I love this game, because as soon as you put it in, uh, I mean, it's an Activision game. It's got weird little creatures, uh, lots of color. Uh, I'm already positive about what I'm probably going to see. So let's find out what that is. Here come the waves. The stingers, to me, are by far the most tenacious. I was talking to you and messing with the volume, so I got killed. Um, there's the master nest. Yep, the stingers, to me, I think are the most tough to deal with. I just got killed again talking to you. There's the green widow, which I guess is the only representative of the spider species in this game. Even though it doesn't really look like a spider. It's really hard to play and talk at the same time. Alright, I'm gonna try that again. I like the sounds for the game. It's really what you want from an Atari game. Lots of explosions. Um, the laser that kind of sounds a little bit like a machine gun. That's kind of fun. Got a bonus there. I don't mean to brag. This one reminds me of all my favorite Atari games. Um, Mega Mania is the one that really comes to mind for me, which was a favorite as I was a kid, when I was a kid. You're supposed to be protecting your, uh, your garden from these insects, although there aren't all that many insects. But they never seem to actually go for the strawberries, which, uh, despite you know all the fun creatures and everything, the strawberries really don't look like strawberries. They're just kind of red ovals. That's maybe the only letdown for the look of the game. Well, that and the spiders and the titular spider fighter. Uh, there's really no spiders in this game, and they're not really doing spider things. webs that kind of pinned you in, that would be cool. I think I'm playing on regular setting as opposed to expert, but I don't remember for sure. enough of that. You got the idea. I could play this all morning because I really like this game. So on a positive note, back to you in the studio. 
Hey, Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Dogwater Hunt, alien abductee, many times over, has scanned the skies waiting for the aliens to return to his hometown of Santa Claus, Indiana. Yes, it's a real place. This year on Christmas Eve, Dogwater believes it will happen. Dogwater's friend, Cameron Jones, a successful novelist, is struggling with writer's block. A talking goldfish? That's normal, isn't it? And a battle with his ex-wife over her plan to move to England with their five-year-old daughter. Meanwhile, up at the North Pole, Santa himself has got his own problems. After centuries of being jolly, the constant tide of kids who believe, then don't anymore, is wearing on him. So he quits, hangs up the red suit, and is cringled no more. Where does he go? Santa Claus, Indiana, obviously. The story of how these three men are thrown together is told in the novel In the Saint Nick of Time, written by the guy you've been listening to this whole episode. It's about time there was a Santa Claus story for adults, so he wrote one. Will these guys save Christmas? Probably. That's how these books work. But you gotta read it to find out how. Go to www.carnivalofgleekcreations.com for more information about the book and some of the places you can order it. Happy Holidays! So here's the thing about Spider Fighter. I really like Spider Fighter a lot. I get what they're saying. I actually had the thought when I was playing it a little bit this morning that if I sat here for a little while, I'd get really, really good at this. Um, and that 40,000, well, I wasn't even close to 40,000 in the field report because I was distracted doing other things. I, I think 40,000 is not an unattainable goal. That said, like the one review said, if it gets too easy, just drink more beer because it's just a fun game to look at. And it, the noises are fun. And it's just fun. It's what you want from an Atari game, right? You want colorful stuff on the screen that you can blast. And it and it provides that. So I have zero complaints about this game. Except for the fact that there really aren't any spiders in it. But I guess Bug Fighter or Insect Fighter doesn't sound as cool as Spider Fighter. I don't know. Uh, it's a minor quibble. It's story time on Atari Bytes. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled Recluse Reformation. On one knee, Magnolia Bouchard balanced a slice of pizza, sauerkraut. Seriously, the gas station had sauerkraut. While a 20-ounce cola on the other knee leaned precariously against the steering wheel as she debated where to put the chocolate bar and chips occupying her hands at the moment. Then, her phone rang. Damn it, she muttered, tossing the chips to the passenger seat along with the chocolate bar. Probably cracked now, she thought bitterly as she answered the call. It was Betty from the office. 
Got a new call for you, Mags, Betty said. Guy on 14th Avenue says he's got big time spider problems. Spiders, Mags groaned. Why did it have to be spiders? Don't discriminate, Betty said. Extermination is an extermination. Not true, Mags countered. The techniques for fighting sp spider infestations are markedly different than, say, wasps or termites. I remember one time, Becky cut her off. I'm texting you the name and address. Hurry up. He sounds upset. Mags consumed half the slice of pizza in one bite, then the truck rumbled toward the address as she gulped down the rest. The life an of an exterminator was like that, making things disappear, be they food or pests, which were sometimes one and the same. Megs parked in front of a two-story brick house. She climbed out of the truck and sniffed the air. Lilac and arachnid, she muttered. Both were nearby. She retrieved a shop vat and some industrial pesticides and went up to the porch. Oh, thank God, Evan Constantine said as he yanked the door open. They're everywhere. He jerkily pulled a bow tie from his collar as he stepped inside to usher Megs into the house. The basement, Evan said. I don't think one of them bit me, but I mean it's only been a little bit. The recluse spider bite symptoms don't show up right away, Meg said, opening the basement door and shining a flashlight on the wooden steps. And it's pretty rare for them, to, for them to bite anyway. Meg's marched down the stairs and turned on the overhead light at the bottom. A little redness, smaller chance of nausea and chills. Meg smirked. Typical Saturday morning after a Friday night out, am I right? Uh, Evan said. Well, I mean, except for the possible seizures and coma. What? Don't worry, Meg said. You probably don't have recluse spiders. She looked around at the room packed full of crates and things covered with tarps, a playground for the shy little recluse spiders. There could be all sorts of creepy crap hiding in there. This could be interesting. Mr. Constantine, Meg said. You go on upstairs. What you probably have here is the common American house spider, or maybe a wolf spider. Nothing to worry about. Great, well, good luck with that. Evan bolted up the stairs. The light flickered. Meg spotted some webs right away. Recluse spiders are hunters. They spin webs, but they're usually down low, more for show than touching prey. These webs? They were up high. Intricate patterns. More for show than utility. But they could also catch the odd fly here and there. Not typical recluse behavior. Megs moved further into the basement, pushing aside storage crates and old exercise equipment. She found and cleaned up a few egg sacs, but these were garden variety house spider eggs. The deeper she moved into the basement, though, the more complicated the webs became. Jeez, doesn't that guy ever clean down here? She muttered. The basement seemed to go on and on, like the dimensions down here were different than for the main level of the house. The web started to connect more back here, eventually forming elaborate artistic renderings of forests and alien worlds and, in a far corner of shelves with 1980s teen sex comedies, a house? Meg sighed. She'd seen this once before. It was during a very strange chapter in her past pest control life the story of which she reserved for late nights, several whiskeys deep with the other exterminators. For them, their strangest, strangest experiences usually involved unexpected snakes in sock drawers that have things in them very different than socks, or customers answering the door naked. Mags, though, she knew there were weirder things out there. Come out, please, Mags said as she stood at what might have been the entrance to the web house. Dang it, a defeated voice said from within. Six doleful eyes peered at Mags, from the face of the six-foot spider that lumbered out of its webhouse and stood before her. The violin-shaped front half of its body shuddered nervously. Megs brandished the hose from the shop vac as if that could do anything against a spider this size. An ultimate recluse spider, Meg said. The artwork was a dead giveaway. 
The spider shrugged all its shoulders. You know you gotta go, Meg said. The spider nodded sadly, but didn't move. Don't make me get rough, Meg said. She was a champion all-creatures wrestler, but she didn't like to play that card too often. She'd been off the circuit for years, but there was still a number of there were still a number of zoos she was banned from. Everything okay down there? Evan called. Yes, Meg's called. No, the spider called. What? Evan called. Just trying to decide between Hard Bodies 2 and Meatballs 3, Meg said. Um, okay, Evan said. He went back up the stairs to check on his souffle. Spider, you gotta go, Meg said. Scared, the spider said. You can't hide dear down here forever like a, like, well, like a recluse spider. Where would I go, the spider asked. Anywhere but my client's house, Meg said. The spider looked around helplessly. Meg scanned the 80s video shelf. Sandwiched between Losing It and Police Academy VHS tapes was a stapled dot matrix script for the 1985 Spider-Man movie that was commissioned but never produced. She showed it to the spider. Know who this is? Meg's asked, and Meg's trained her six eyes on the red body-suited man on the cover. Spider-Man? The recluse spider said. That's right, Meg said. It's not Hornet Man or Horsefly Man. It's Spider-Man. Know why? Because spiders are fierce and brave. They don't hide in basements surrounded by thigh masters and boob movies. You can do this, spider. I can do this, the spider repeated. You're a fighter, not a hider. Can I bite people? I wish you wouldn't, Meg said, but you do you. Where will I go? There's some lovely barns just begging for a reenactment of Charlotte's Web, Meg said. Well, the spider said. Otherwise, you know, Meg's held up the vacuum hose. The spider, thankfully, had very little understanding of the practical reality that there was no way to suck up a spider her size with a hose that size. All right, then, the spider said. I am brave. I can do this. Go see the world, my reclusive spider friend, Meg's called and waved. The spider waddled up the stairs out of Evan Constantine's house. She attempted to start a new life in a barn, where she was promptly swatted by a farmer with good aim and the, set and the Sunday New York Times. Evan and Mags kicked back with popcorn and the 1984 classic Hot Dog, the movie. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers but make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. There probably aren't spiders over there. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com, like the show on our Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Look us up on Instagram. You can also call and leave a voicemail about any damn thing you want at 563-265-1978. I'll never answer the phone, so you don't have to talk to me. Just leave your message, and maybe I'll play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com for information and links to this show and also It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, my monthly show about all things related to the Peanuts comic strip. There's also information over there about books I've written, like In the St. Nick of Time, which is timely for this holiday season, and Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. All sorts of information and links to just some of the places you can get those books 
all over there on the website. Consider supporting the show financially by making a donation on the Atari Bytes Patreon page and becoming a subscriber. If you do so, you might get access to episodes early, you might do bonus episodes, all sorts of cool stuff that you can't get if you're not a subscriber. There are also still Go Play Some Old Games They've Missed You, shirts and mugs, over there at ab underscore pod underscore store on zazzle.com. Someday, that store will be updated. Oh, by the way, thanks to my patrons who already do subscribe to the show. Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, and Sean Courtney. You guys are awesome. All right, I guess all that's left is to tell you what's coming up next. And this is huge. Next time on Atari Bytes, Star Wars Return of the Jedi. That's right. The new uh, Star Wars movie, was it Rise of Skywalker? Comes out this month. Uh, and it is the last of the most recent trilogy. Certainly not the last Star Wars movie we'll ever get but the last of the current trilogy that started with, um, the one that it started with. Um, well, the last one, let's see, the last one was The Last Jedi, and the one before that was Force Awakens. That was it. Star Wars Force Awakens. The trilogy that started with that one uh, ends this month with the new movie. In honor of that, we're playing the Atari game inspired by the last of the original trilogy, Return of the Jedi. Um, so that would be fun. Um, you know, feel the force and join us as the force commands you to do, because this is the episode you're looking for next week on Atari Bytes. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.